And I asked you last night about who in the Bible you would most like to have a conversation with. And now I'm curious about who in history you would most like to sit down and have a conversation with. Someone who's passed on, not someone from the Bible, but someone from history that you would just love to sit down and have a conversation with them and ask them some things. Anybody have some thoughts about that? Yes, sir. Gandhi. Gandhi, yeah, a fascinating man. Alexander the Great. Good. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Shubal Stearns, great American Baptist. Yep. Grace? You didn't? Okay. Joe? Um, probably Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Yeah, a lot of our founding fathers at the founding of our country were very young, in their early 20s. Really, really fascinating. Isaac? Um, probably one of the founding fathers, Patrick Henry, George Washington. Okay, that's two. <laughs> Anyone else? Anthony? Uh, yeah, it'd be fascinating to have a conversation with him. Yes, sir? Leonardo. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Albert Einstein. I would be afraid to talk to someone that intelligent, whether I could understand them. It's the honest truth. You know, there's a lot of fascinating people that have lived before us. And, of course, one of the great ways that we can learn about them is through biographies and sometimes autobiographies where they speak about their experiences and things that they saw But it it would be fascinating to try to understand how someone who lived in a different era looked at their life. And, And even, you've probably heard this before, a lot of people who we now look back on as great successes, as maybe like the standouts of history, some of the names that you mentioned, during the time that they lived how they viewed themselves, most likely did not regard themselves as being that significant. Had really no understanding of how history would view them. And others who thought they were quite significant, who are completely lost to us. We have no recollection of them. We know nothing about them. It is an interesting aspect of life. Who is remembered and who is not? All right, go, and, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So I'm one of those strange people. I would like to talk to some of the infamous people of history to try to understand why did Adolf Hitler do the things that he did? to have a conversation with him just to understand what was it that sent him down such an evil path. So that's just me, all right? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I guess I should turn there myself. It's usually a good policy for the preacher to be in the passage that he's using as the text. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I mentioned it, made mention of it in the last message, this idea of proving or testing the will of God. And we called attention to the fact that in order to prove or test the will of God to demonstrate that it's good, acceptable, and perfect, we must first come to the place where we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. When you think of the word sacrifice, what comes to your mind? What is a sacrifice? That's a question. So maybe you have some input. What is a sacrifice? Yes, sir? Something completely given. Something completely given? Jordan? Okay, all right. Grace? Okay. So when we think of sacrifice, we tend to think of denial of ourselves, pain, setting aside our own desires. I mean, sacrifice, biblically speaking, a sacrifice was an animal whose life was taken and was laid on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Now, this is distinct in Romans 12 because it says we are to be a living sacrifice. So God wants us to continue living, but he wants us to live as a sacrifice to him. In other words, he wants us to offer our life, our ambitions, our our dreams, our desires to him. He wants us to put them on the altar and say, Lord, I'm going to give these over to you, whatever you want. I want to be a living sacrifice. Now, what that means is that sometimes as we're following God's will, what will be involved is a setting aside. It's going to feel like a loss. It's going to seem, from our perspective, at least in that moment, like we've given something up. Would you agree with me? That's what it means to sacrifice, to give something up. But obviously, then it goes on to say that when we learn how to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, the result is that we prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, before you can realize the goodness of God's plan, you have to be willing to set aside your own mediocre plan. And it's going to feel like a sacrifice. It's going to, to you, it's going to feel like I gave something up to serve the Lord. Now, in the end, it's very likely that you'll look back and say, I thought I gave something up, but really I got something more than what I gave up. But that's in the end. And from our perspective at this moment, it feels like, okay, this hurts, this is painful, this is costly to me. So what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes is the idea of contentment and anticipation. As I follow God's will, 
I need to learn that God wants me to be content. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In the context of that statement, he was talking about how he had been deprived, how he had seen great victories, how he had been subjected to all kinds of difficulties in his life. But what he found was that whatever was going on, wherever he was in his life, he had learned the importance of contentment. Have you ever noticed how discontented we tend to be? So, Think about it in terms of a car. And most of you probably have a car, or maybe you borrow a car from your parents that you drive, whatever, all right? So my first car that I purchased when I was 18 was a 1969 Volkswagen Bug. It did not run. I paid $100 for it, and... The guy who connected me with the dealership that sold it to me, it was all like, you know, off the books kind of thing. A hundred bucks. They didn't care. They just wanted it off their lot. He was a mechanic who worked there. He said, hey, if you want this car, I arranged with the used car dealer. They'll take a hundred bucks for it. They just want it off the lot. They don't even want to bother putting it through the auction. If you want it, you can have it. So I had to figure out how to get it here because it didn't run. And then that was the beginning of my mechanical experience figuring out why this car didn't run properly and getting it running. And it was, it was a gem, that car. It was not a nice color. The body on it was in pretty rough shape. It didn't run very well. It didn't have heat, didn't have air conditioning, unless you count rolling the windows down while you were going 55, which was the top speed. And, you know, in most ways, it was not really a great car. Looking back, I think like that was an awful car, but it was transportation. So to me, I was very proud of that car because it was my car. By the way, I did get it running and it ran pretty well. And after I drove it for a year, I sold it to somebody else for 800 bucks. And then I bought a piece of junk truck, which also didn't run properly. And then I fought with that and I messed with it and was constantly working on it. And then, you know, through the course of time, you buy this car, you buy that car. But something that I've noticed about cars is you think, you know, if I get that car, it's going to make me really happy. That's exactly what I want. I mean, it's got everything that I want in that car. So then you get that car and you drive it for a while. And after you drive it for a while, you start looking around and you're like, you know, that car looks a little nicer than my car. And this, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're driving. So I'm going to let you in on a secret. I was talking to Blake a little bit about this earlier Um, We were in Naples, Florida not too long ago, and Naples, if you don't know, is a very wealthy place, and if you like exotic cars, it's a great place to spot every kind of exotic car that you could possibly imagine. My kids were counting exotic cars while we were down there, and after a while, they kind of gave up on the boring ones like Lamborghinis because there were so many other interesting ones that were more expensive. Just blows your mind, all right? But realistically realistically, what's the difference between a Honda and a BMW? Well, today, not much, really. Not much. Hondas are pretty comfortable. BMWs are pretty comfortable. The the average ordinary car today would have been a luxury car 20 years ago. All right? But what is it? Well, people get discontented. And, And I'm not saying you know, that you can't have a BMW or whatever if, if that's 
what floats your boat. But at the end of the day, whether you drive a Honda or a Mercedes, a car's not going to make you happy. You see, no matter what you get, you're always going to want something more. You're always going to have this sense, well, there's got to be something better. I've got to have this new toy. I've got to have this new bell and whistle. That's what I've got to have. Contentment is something that we have to learn. And this is true in every area of our life, not just in the area of our cars, but in the area of the decisions of our life. So what can we do to experience contentment and also balanced with that, a holy anticipation of what God has in store. So let me give you some thoughts about this to wrap up our time together this afternoon, or I guess it's still this morning. The first thing that I want to say to you is you and I need to determine to live in the present tense. Determine to live in the present tense. This is very important. There's two errors that I see about how people live in regards to this. Some people are always living in the past tense. They're always talking about the things that they did years ago or about the, the, the things that happened to them that have now ruined their life. And if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't be where I was. And, and they're just constantly dwelling, either with bitterness or with rose-colored glasses about the past And they're so focused on the past that they forget you actually live in the present, not the past. The other error with this is people who are always living in the future. They're always looking forward to something that they don't have. They're talking about the person that they're going to marry eventually, the house they're going to have at some point, the job that they're going to land, the the career that they're going to have, all of these sorts of things. So here they are in the present tense, but they're so busy always pining for the future that they forget that God has called you to live in the present tense. I see this happen a lot with single adults. Single adults pining for... When I get married, then my life will be complete. When I get this milestone, when I get that milestone, when I finally get to that place, then my life will be everything that I want it to be. The truth is, if you're not content when you're single, you won't be content when you're married. Contentment is a state of mind. It is a condition of the heart. And we must determine to live in the present tense. Many times we're so concerned about the future will of God that we're missing the present will of God. We're talking about these big things that are somewhere off in the future and we're neglecting the fact that God wants us to walk with him today, like I was speaking about last night. We're we're thinking about big things that might come down the road, like am I going to marry someone? Uh, What kind of a job am I going to have? Where am I going to live? These sorts of big placeholders but we're forgetting that God has a will for our life today. This morning when you woke up, God has a will for your life right now. He's got something that he wants you to be about. He's got his business that he wants you to be engaged in. And you and I need to determine that we are going to be living in the present tense. Now what happens so often is when we are neglecting the present tense is that we are living for ourselves now and then we're saying later on, I'm going to surrender myself to the Lord. You know, when the time comes, I'm going to submit that decision to the Lord. 
I mean, the, the decision of who I'm going to marry. I'm going to submit that to the Lord. The decision of what I'm going to do with the bulk of my life, my career. I'm going to submit that to the Lord. The decision of where I'm going to live. I'm going to submit that to the Lord. Okay, you should. You should be willing to do that. But are you submitting your daily decisions to the Lord? Because if you're not submitting the daily, what you regard as the small decisions to the Lord, you won't be submitting the big decisions to him either. When you come to those things, you you will be ruled by self-will. And your self-will will lead you to do the things that you want to do. So you can talk about how I'm going to be submitted to the Lord. Somewhere out there in the future, I'm going to submit, submit myself to the Lord. No, the call is you submit yourself to him today. You present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord right now, right here, right in this place. In the present tense, you yield yourself to God. Determined to live in the present tense. Second of all, handle it carefully when you don't like where you are. Have you ever been somewhere and you didn't like where you were? You didn't like the circumstances. You didn't like the setting. Unfortunately, many people, when they don't like where they are, they move quickly to change. They run away. Things get unpleasant or difficult, and they say, I'm out of here. I'm checking out of this. I'm not going to be involved in this. I'm just going to move on. So when you don't like where you are, and I'm not so much referring to, you know, if you're in a restaurant that you don't like, that's pretty easy to fix, right? You say, well, I don't like what they have to eat, and And I'm not sure I want to buy anything. Well, it's not hard, right? You just get up and you go to a different restaurant that you would like better. That's not an earth-shattering decision. It's not that difficult. I mean, unless you're there with someone else and they're insisting that that's where you've got to be, then it gets a little thorny. There's a lot of little things like that. And, And that's what I want you to understand is that when you don't like where you are, sometimes you have the ability to change it. So we're talking about life circumstances, right? And sometimes the life circumstances that, you're, that you are enduring or the things that you're going through are things that are a consequence or a result of your own decisions or your own lack of decisions. So in that case, you have the opportunity and the prerogative to make a different decision and to change the setting. Let's say you don't like that you don't have enough money to pay your bills. You say, I I just don't have enough money. Well, you know, we live in a free country. So there is something that you could do about that. For instance, you could cut your spending, which is usually what you need to do. You employ this big bad thing called a budget. And you restrict your spending. Instead of just buying whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, you're going to you're going to discipline yourself. Or you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not making enough money to be able to pay my bills. Well, you have this opportunity to better yourself and to look for a better job, to look for a better opportunity. And, and certainly God can lead you in that. So you see, you have, some, you have some will in this. You have some decisions that you can make. You say, I don't like this situation, so can I do something about it? Is it something that I could change? You say, well, you know, I'm just, not, I'm just not prepared to do such and such a thing that I really want to do in my life. I, wanna, I want this kind of a career. Okay, well, how do you get there? 
If that's where God wants you to go, do you need to get some education? Do you need to get some vocational training? Do you need... What I'm saying to you is a lot of times things in our life that we don't like, we actually have the capacity to change by making better decisions. And that's okay. But there's also things that we may have in our life that we don't like and we just don't have anything to do about it. There is nothing that we can do to change that situation. For instance, other people may have made some decisions that have brought certain consequences or results in your life and there's nothing you can do about it. It wasn't your choice in the first place. You're maybe collateral damage from that decision and you're facing the consequences of someone else's decisions. There are things that are outside of our control, things like physical characteristics that we may have or family characteristics. This is the way that my family is. You can't necessarily change that. You may not like it, but you can't change it. It's just the way that it is. There may be circumstances that you did not choose and you cannot avoid. Think about Joseph when he was accused by Potiphar's wife and then he was thrown in jail and he finds himself in jail. Was that his choice? No. Had he done something wrong or foolish to end up in that place? No. It wasn't his fault, but there was nothing he could do to change that circumstance or that situation. So how do we handle then situations that we don't like that are outside of our control? Some of you may have some health problems. You didn't choose those health problems. There's not necessarily anything that you can do to solve those health problems. Maybe you have an autoimmune issue or maybe you have something else that you inherited through your genetic makeup and you're dealing with it. It's just the way of life. I hate to break it to you, but those start to come more and more as you get older. And, you know, you could enjoy really great health. And then all of a sudden things start to happen and things fall apart. And that's part of living in a broken world. And you say, well, I don't like I don't like this. I, I don't like this, this health problem that I'm struggling with. I don't like this situation that has confronted me. Well, sometimes we have things in our lives that we don't like, and there's just nothing that we can do about it. So how do we handle those? Well, it's very important that in those situations, we do not allow ourselves to become embittered by the circumstances that have befallen us. Many people spend their lives embittered, angry, because their life isn't turning out the way that they thought it would. Or they're bearing some burden that they never imagined that they would have to bear. And actually, one big problem that we encounter with this, and I want to warn you about it, because it's so common, is that we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. And we say things like, you know, why did that person get married when they're only, and I'm, you know, why didn't I get picked? Well, you know, why did that person get the opportunity to have that job that pays this? Or why do they get paid more than I do? Why is that person successful and I'm not? Why does that person have this talent and I don't have that talent? So we could spend our life constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And do you know what we end up doing? We miss the person that God has made us to be. 
because we're so discontented with the things that we wish we had that we don't have that we're not being thankful for the things that God has given to us. You know, every one of you is a unique person. Every one of you has unique strengths and, yes, even weaknesses. Every one of you comes from a unique background. You have unique opportunities. There's not a one of you that is exactly the same as someone else. Even those of you who are siblings and you grew up in the same family, you have some differences one from the other. Because God made you to be unique and special. And by the way, God values you for who you are. What a boring place the world would be if we were all exactly the same. But the world is interesting because we are different and we are unique. Now, we have some things that are the same, but we have some things that are unique, that are different about us. Learn to give thanks for those things. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we should learn to give thanks in all things. We should be giving thanks to God for everything that happens in our life. That means even the things that we don't understand, even the things that we don't comprehend. Do you know that thanksgiving could change your perspective completely about your life? Instead of complaining that you don't have such and such a job and it's not fair that you don't have the opportunities that somebody else has, give thanks to God for the opportunities that you do have. And trust God to guide your steps in the opportunities that might come after that. It's, I was talking with someone the other day about this. It's, it is pervasive in the workplace, especially in a corporate environment. People will compare their pay stub. And they'll go around, how much do you get? How much do you get? How much is your paycheck? How much is your paycheck? Because people peg their value as a person on how much money they make. And it's very foolish. Of course, in a, in a workplace, a corporate workplace, where you could have a couple thousand people working, there's going to be a great variety in what people are being paid. And someone will say, you make that much? Well, look how much I do, and look what I contribute to the company. It's not fair. So I want to remind you, life is not fair. That's right. There is nothing about life that is fair. There's a lot of unfairness in the world. Don't worry yourself about that. If you're always focused on everything being fair, you are going to become a terribly bitter person. But it can also happen in the Lord's church, in in the house of God. You can start looking around at other people's lives and say, look at that person. Why do they get this? And why didn't I get that? And why do they get this? And I didn't get that. And it's not fair. That person got this and I didn't get this. And, And what you're talking about is how God has dealt in people's lives. And you're forgetting that he's a good God who loves you just as much as the next person. He's given you many blessings, but you are so caught up in the things that that person has that you don't have that you are missing on the blessings of God. What a shame it is when we become so focused on the things we don't have that we miss the things that we do have. So how do you handle when you don't like where you are? Some of you may not care much for where you're at. You may say, you know, my life is just not going the way that I thought it would go. 
things aren't turning out the way that I had planned or dreamed or, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like things are going in the direction that I thought God was taking me. I don't understand what's happening. Be very careful. Because if you don't handle that in the right way, you can be going astray from God's path very quickly. So determined to live in the present tense, handle it carefully when you don't like where you are. Third of all, and this goes along with that, allow the promises of God to give you perspective. You see, one of the problems that we run into concerning the will of God is that we tend to judge the will of God and whether we like it or not by what I see right now, right here. When I was learning to drive a long time ago, I remember the driving instructor teaching us, it's very important to always be looking down the road. You don't want to get your focus right in front of you, just looking right at the road, just in front of your car. You want to constantly, did any of you learn this too? You want to constantly be looking way down the road. Years ago, I was with my dad on a road trip. We were coming home from St. Louis area, and we were driving on I-70. My dad was driving. I was in the passenger seat. And we were talking, and all of a sudden, he said, Oh, my soul! Which is, you know, my dad is what he usually says when he's surprised. And he began to hit the brakes and get over to the side. And what had happened was, out ahead of us, a tractor-trailer had started swaying, had lost control, and had gone off the side. Now, because he was looking out ahead, he was able to respond to that in sufficient time to be able to keep us from being involved in that accident. So that far-off view was helpful for him. Now, remember, I said we need to live in the present tense But we also need to have enough wisdom to be able to look down the road and especially to regard the promises of God. Because when you understand the promises of God, you realize that God can take something that right now looks like a disaster and he can turn it into the greatest blessing of your life. God is able to take something that seems like it is bad and he can use it for good to them that love God. But if you get the wrong perspective, if you, if you miss the promises of God, then you start looking at the circumstances and you get all mired down in the circumstances and you lose sight of the fact that God is able to work things for our good. He is able to turn things for our good. Our perspective tends to be impeded by our mortality. To us, a long perspective is... 10 years, or maybe 20 years. That seems like a long time. I mean, honestly, for me, right now, I think about the age that I am, the average age that people will live. So for me, you know, I think like I could be looking 30 30 years down the road. In 30 years from now, I would be past the average age of life expectancy for the United States of America. That's kind of creepy. But 30 years isn't that long. You see, 30 years can pass like that. 
What I'm saying to you is we, we have a very short perspective. I mentioned to you, you know, some of those people that we mentioned, I'd like to have a conversation with this person or that person. In their life, they may have thought of themselves as insignificant. I didn't really contribute that much. My life wasn't all that important. Now, a couple hundred years later, we look back on their life and we say, wow, that person really had an impact on our culture. That person really did something that mattered. To them, they may have felt like their life wasn't that significant, but we look back on it and we have a different perspective. I'm saying to you that our perspective tends to be impeded by our mortality, by the fact that we are often hemmed in by the circumstances of our day, but the promises of God give us perspective because they help us to see things from God's eternal perspective. They help us to see that God is up to something in our lives. He's always working in the world around us. You and I desperately need an eternal perspective, especially when we are in situations where we don't necessarily like that situation. I I called attention to Joseph a little while ago. And do you remember what happened after after Joseph's father died? His brothers came to him and they basically fell at his feet because he was so powerful. And they said to him something like, Dad said that after he died, you were supposed to be nice to us and forgive us. Now, why did they do that? Well, because, you know, they hadn't forgotten that when they had the opportunity, they treated Joseph absolutely awful. They were more than mean to him. They were cruel If they had their way, some of them would have killed him. And what they did that was better than that was they sold him into slavery. And I know you might feel like selling some of your siblings into slavery once in a while, but probably not the best choice. So they came to Joseph and they said, you know, you you, hopefully you can find it in your heart to forgive us. Dad said you ought to. Joseph looked at his brothers and he said to them, You meant it for evil. There's no question about it. You were not nice. But God meant it for good. Joseph could look back on his life without bitterness, and he could see that, yeah, you know what? There for a while, things were not turning out the way he imagined. You know, he had visions from God about his family bowing down to him. He had visions from God about the the direction for his life. He had a promise that he could hold on to, but there for a while it must have seemed like, God, what are you doing? I'm in prison. I I can't get out of prison. I'm a slave. Like, how am I going to accomplish anything in my life? But God had a plan. God was up to something that would turn out to be good. You see, the promises of God give us perspective that God is able to overcome our circumstances and accomplish his will in our life. God is able even to use our difficult circumstances to lead us in the path that he wants us to walk. But we must allow the promises of God to give us perspective. In the times when we're tempted to be discouraged or downtrodden about the circumstances of our life, things aren't working out the way that I thought they were. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought that I would be this by now. I thought I would have this by now. I thought things would be this way, and it's not turning out that way. You trust the promises of God. You trust the heart of your Father that He knows 
what you desire. He knows what is best for your life. You allow the promises of God to give you perspective. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you know the promises of God are the means by which we escape the corruption of the flesh? The corruption of the flesh is that which causes us to doubt God. The corruption of the flesh is that which causes us to have an earthbound perspective. The promises of God deliver us from that perspective, deliver us from the corruption of our flesh, and give us a perspective that is superior. It is eternal. It is divine. Last of all this morning, learn to trust and yield to God's timing. You and I are called to live a life of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The reason that we struggle so much with contentment in our lives is because we're walking by sight. Because we're looking at the circumstances of our life rather than at the promises of God. And we're saying, Lord, what are you doing? Things aren't working out. Well, this is what a life of faith is. How many times must Abraham have asked God, Lord, what is going on? You said you were going to make me a great nation. You said you were going to bless me in all these ways. I don't know if you've noticed, Lord, but me and Sarah are getting old. We still don't have any kids. I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord. I know you made your promises. Now, I don't want you to think that Abraham was a man of weak faith. But to think that he never questioned or struggled with that would be a little too much, you see. But the Bible does say that he was strong in faith. He staggered not at the promise of God. Later, when God asked him to offer his only son as a sacrifice upon the altar, he believed the promise of God so deeply that he was willing to trust that God could raise his son from the dead if he needed to. He believed the promise of God. He trusted God. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the situation is that you're facing right now. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with concerning God's will. But I know this. God calls every one of us to trust. And he wants us to yield to his timing. By the way, you don't ever get to a place in your life where you don't need to do this anymore. You always are called to trust and yield to God's timing. Many things in our lives may seem confusing to us until we get to heaven. I'm not even assuring you this morning that everything is going to make sense when you get older. Because there might be some things that you just say, I don't get it. I don't know. Lord, I'm not sure what that was all about. We may not know the answer to those questions until we're with the Lord. It's possible that we may not comprehend those things. Now, it is, there is something about the rearview mirror. And it's amazing how you can look back and see what God was doing at times. And that's a blessing. And I remember 
um, I won't bore you with all the details of how God brought Mrs. Hammett and I together and put our lives together. At the time, I had no comprehension of what God was doing. But now, I can look back and there were things that were going on that I didn't even know about. Things that were going on in her life things that were going on in her family's life, things that were going on in my family's life. And God was at work in all these different ways and he put it all together. And it wasn't till later as we were comparing notes and talking about what God did to lead us to that point that we both said, wow, look what God was doing. And we had no idea that he was at work. This is why we have to trust and yield to God's timing because God is doing things that you don't always see. You don't always understand or know. You're not privy to all those details because you are not God. This is why God wants us to trust him. There are things that will become clear as we progress down the path of life and God's will. And we may look back at times and say, oh, now I get it. I didn't understand that then, but now I get it. I didn't understand the delay, but now I get it. Now I understand what God was up to. Oh, it makes sense now. You see what I'm saying? You have the ability sometimes to look back and things make a little bit more sense. Now, again, I'm not assuring you that everything's going to make sense because there might still be some things that you just say, I don't get it. That's why we need to trust the Lord. That's why we need to yield to him. Would you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22? 2 Samuel chapter 22. What do you do when you don't necessarily care for your circumstances? Some of you may be in a situation, some circumstances in your life. Maybe there's some things that are hard. Maybe there's some challenges. Maybe some of those things are things that you just don't have the the capacity. Like it's not your choice. You can't change those things. So what do you do? Well... 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. So one thing that we know is if we just determine to walk in God's way, I may not always be able to see where that way is going through the circumstances of life, but I can see the next step. I can see what God wants me to do in in the next today. I I, I know what God wants me to do today. I I, I can look at the decision that is in front of me and say, okay, what is the will of the Lord in regards to this decision? Okay, I can see what God's will is. I may not understand where that's going to take me down the road, but I can see what God wants me to do today. So what is it that keeps you walking on that path? It is the confidence that God's way is perfect. His word is tried. That means it's been put to the test. It has been proven. You can be confident that what God says is true. So when you are in doubt, when you are confused... When you are unsure about the path that is before you, when you don't like the circumstances that you're facing, you say, what do I do? You trust the Lord. 
and you yield to his timing. A major part of walking in the will of God is taking the circumstances that you have no control over and saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I can't do a thing about it. I can't change it at all. But I'm trusting you to take this as bad as it seems and use it somehow for my good and your glory. And the promises of God tell us that if we love him, that is what he desires to do in our lives. I don't know what's ahead for you young people in the next year, the next five years. I don't know what kind of circumstances you might encounter, what kind of decisions you might be making. I don't know exactly the path where God wants you to walk, but I know this. He has a will for your life. He has a place that he is taking you. He has a purpose for each and every one of you. And if you will submit your life to him and yield yourself to him, he will guide you step by step into the path that is his will. As we've talked over last night and this morning about the will of God, I hope that you have been challenged to yield yourself to the Lord.